Welcome to Brew Success Radio, the podcast that brings you the most up-to-date information on training, nutrition, lifestyle and business with your host, Helda Barroso. So obviously, welcome on the podcast. It's great to have you. Um, you. Please introduce yourself and let everybody know who you are and your background. Hi, well, thank you so much for having me. My name's Claire Snowden, darling, and I'm the founder of Balanced Wellness and also the head of the College of Functional Wellness. And uh, through my 15 years in this industry, I have become an expert and a specialist in hormone regulation and diet and then also emotional transformation because they're very connected. Our emotions are very connected to our hormones. Um, and I particularly ended up going down this journey because like a lot of women uh, in this country, uh, in fact, in, globally, I was not helped with my symptoms by the medical model. So after I had my daughter 16 years ago, I was left with postpartum depression and chronic fatigue syndrome. And there was nothing in the medical model that could help me. I was offered a lot of antidepressants. I you know, it was just all sorts of awful things. And it was turning to a holistic lifestyle and really getting to understand things like adrenal fatigue. So the, the effect of trauma or stress on the body and, and how that destabilizes our hormones, um, mindset, diet, um, and eventually, uh, when my, all my conditions turned into early menopause, I was very far down the perimenopause um, route before I got diagnosed. And then, of course, they tried to offer me HRT and the fallout from that was huge. So it's, it's meant that through my trying to get myself well, yeah. whilst supporting clients, I developed a new way of working alongside my business partner, which has now been turned into a practitioner training course. In fact, you'll probably hear them. I've just gone into another room because you'll hear my students next door who are all learning how to be practitioners working with their clients on hormonal dysregulation, diet and emotional transformation because we don't have enough of it and people are talking about the wrong things. So I get really excited when I hear people like you going okay we need to talk about this because yeah, all of a sudden it's becoming really so important mm. like menopause was never talked about perimenopause was like this big stigma and it's a huge huge issue yes definitely so obviously with your background and what you've suffered can you delve a little bit more into that how did that come along what symptoms were you getting uh, and how did you get around doing it so you've done it yourself and not with the help of, of the medical, um, usual, um, way. Yeah. So my symptoms were, I had proper postpartum depression to begin with, yeah. and then that led to chronic fatigue. So that was the proper dragging myself around exhausted all the time. I had irritable bowel syndrome. I had migraines. Uh, I was on medication for migraines. I was really experiencing a lot of weight fluctuations. So I had, I'd kind of bought into the, the sort of the weight watchers, the, or the you know, calorie counting, move more, eat less kind of thing. So mm -hmm. I really wasn't, I was quite nutritionally depleted. Um, and also the GPs were really sort of pushing that home about eat less, move more. But when you are adrenally fatigued and exhausted, actually doing the wrong kind of exercise is horrendous for you. So I was just overweight. I was probably very much heading towards being type two diabetic, definitely metabolic syndrome. So a lot of inflammation going on in my body. Um, and then also that was showing with things like the IBS, the migraines, the low mood, uh, yes. just all of it, low libido, just really disengaged yeah. with life, like really struggling, really struggling. And how, how did you so know I, that you had, you know, um, you were almost had to diabetic? Did you do uh, bloods and things like that? So I only know that now, right. knowing how I feel in my body and kind of look back Fair at enough. my diet and where I was and just the amount of inflammation going on in my body. Mm. I now know with my knowledge that I was absolutely heading towards type 2 diabetes yes. just because of yes. the, the, the sheer weight gain and inflammation that 
was going on. So the other thing that started to happen was my period started to become really imbalanced. Um, and that was years before. Yeah, really irregular. Yeah. And that was years before I got diagnosed with perimenopause. I had so many blood tests that kept coming back as normal. Mm. And this is where women start to think they're going mad because they're having blood tests, they're having thyroid panels, they're having their blood sugars checked, they're having their hormones checked, and their doctors keep saying, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. You're normal. You're normal. And these women are going, I feel horrendous. I'm gaining weight. My periods are going crazy. What is wrong with me? Yes. And it's this desperately disempowered place, you know? Yes. Awful. Yeah. So I had already started on the journey of eating better and exercising. And I, um, I, I trained as a kinesiologist. So kinesiology we work with the biochemistry of the body. So we look at nutritional supplementation and diet. Mm -hmm. uh, we work with the structure of the body. So we work with sort of posture, but also things like structures in the bowel, like the ileocecal valve. We work with the jaw. We do a whole load of stuff that's sort of akin to chiropractic. We work oh. with the electrical systems of the body and we also work emotionally. So I thought I was ticking all the bases because yeah. I was doing what I was trained Absolutely, to do, yeah. right? Yeah. But actually I wasn't because, and this is a point I really want to make, is that nutritional science until about 10 years ago was a bit of a misnomer. It wasn't a science. It was a bit of a guessing game. Mm. And nutritional science is actually now still a very burgeoning science. And a lot of the stuff that we're now teaching is, is so new, it's so fresh, mm. that actually we can't even blame the doctors because they haven't... That, just the medical model hasn't caught up with the stuff that we now know in the functional nutrition world. Mm. So what I didn't realize, and it's what we now teach, is that there is this, this interplay between hormones. And, and women don't know this, and so that's why they think they're going mad. Yes. And the triangle of hormonal health. So it's something that we, we actually developed. And it's this interplay. It sounds really complicated it's not it's this interplay between three sets of hormones and all the researchers out there but no one had ever put it together before, where at the top of this triangle we've got stress hormones and by stress hormones i'm talking about cortisol yeah. so we've got stress hormones now it is almost impossible in 2020 to not be inundated with the body making cortisol yeah we, we, we create that in response to lifestyle choices stress yeah pressure, food intolerances, yes. eating the wrong food, it's there all the time, right? Yeah, well, and, and oh. our body can deal with some cortisol. It's, it's, it's good to have some cortisol, but at the moment, I think there's too much cortisol going on. Yeah, exactly, and that causes inflammation. Yes. But, but when uh, we have this cortisol imbalance, we then also are putting pressure on our female hormones. Mm. And then I'm just going to, I understand that we are um, recording, but I've just seen that the internet connection is unstable and I want to make sure yeah. that you get all of this. No problem so at all. It is breaking here and there a little bit, but nothing major. Okay, well, as long as it's all right, but if there's a problem, we can change that. Yeah. Um, so when we have this cortisol imbalance, we then put a lot of pressure on our female hormones or our sex hormones so progesterone estrogen yeah. and then the one that knows so everyone knows about that there's quite a lot of that oh well if you're stressed your periods might be a bit imbalanced you know there's kind of a bit known about that but the bit that people don't talk about is the connection between both of those sets of hormones and our blood sugars mm. and blood sugar stabilization is absolutely key and foundational to having to reducing our cortisol and creating stable sex hormones yes and this is it's like a little stool that we need all the legs of the stool to be balanced but if you're perimenopausal that's already a bit wonky on this side yeah. so now we and it's, if you're stressed it's wonky and if your diet's not right for you it's yeah. wonky yeah. we need to make sure this is balanced because otherwise we're not going to have any hormone stability at all and okay. that's when we're going to have the weight gains and all the stuff that and, and none of that's going to show up in a blood test because no, it's, it's subclinical imbalances yeah yeah and this is why women feel they're going mad 
Yeah, so a, a, so a huge part of that you, you, you think is to do with blood sugar and the blood sugar being going up and down all the time. Yeah, and the reason for that, just, just come fresh off of lecturing about this, it's so exciting. The reason for that is because when, we, when our blood sugars drop past a certain level, so we're really hungry or we've eaten the wrong thing, yes. when our blood sugars drop, the body produces cortisol. Of course. And the cortisol is, you know, we're, we're creating that hormone to put, to, to put sugar into our muscles to make us go find food. That's the purpose. But all of a sudden there's sugar in our bloodstream, which means that our blood sugars rise. And when our blood sugars rise, we then produce insulin. Now insulin equals fat storage. But insulin also then drops our blood sugars back to where they came from. So we end up with this blood sugar roller coaster. Down, up and down, yeah. So we could end up diabetic even if our diet was perfect just because we were stressed, just because we're overloading the body with cortisol, mm. which you know is always a phenomenal sort of fact. But the other reason that we can end up in that blood sugar roller coaster is because we're eating foods we're intolerant to. And in and, and the way that we look at that is predominantly wheat, dairy, and sugar, particularly for women, because dairy is so um, estrogenic it piles so much estrogen into the body and then the body just sees all of this stuff as stress so even if we're not stressed you know because of work or pressure yeah. we might be having this stress bomb going off in our body which is causing this roller coaster yes and so then we're in this destabilization and it's like this catch-22 that we can't get out of yeah and so i know you sent me this list of, sort of all the things that you want to talk about but I get so excited that we can go down the rabbit hole of say any of the sort of the female sex oh. hormones or testosterone or insulin or any of them. But ultimately it comes back to, is there too much cortisol in our system? No, because the body isn't going to be interested in creating a nice environment for your womb. Yes. If it thinks there's a bunch of saber-toothed tigers behind Absolutely. It. And it comes down to a lot, a, lot, a lot of things that happen within our body come down to that, doesn't it? It comes down to, um, back in the day, we, you know, we, we only had to deal with the fact that we're going to get eaten or we're going to get food. Either one or the other. That was the only stresses that we had. But now we've got so many other stresses going on. Are you still there? You're still there, yeah? Yeah, so um, as I was saying, we've got, so yeah, many yeah, stresses, we've got so many of the stresses going on, such as, you know, uh, it could be finances, it could be uh, training too hard, it could be poor diet, it could be um, road rage. There's so much going on all the time that we, we're like in a, a bit of a middle. We're never not, 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 not stressed at all or highly stressed. We're kind of in the middle of that all the time, aren't we? And that keeps raising cortisol all, all the time. Is that what you're seeing? Always. Yeah, totally. And then I like to talk about a condition called the HPA axis dysregulation, which sounds really technical, but I'm going to make it not technical. And I really like to talk about this stuff because, you know, I predominantly see women who feel like they're going mental because they yeah. don't know why they're unwell. And yes. so I like to tell them, this is what's happening. You're not going mental. Yes. So in our body, we have our hypothalamus in our brain, which is the receptor for our senses. So is a bus coming towards me? Is something on fire? It's all of those responses. We have our pituitary gland, which actually runs our whole endocrine system. So that is getting the responses from inside our body. body. So are my blood sugars low? Is there anything else I need to be stressed about? If the body, if the hypothalamus or the pituitary, so that's the H and P in HPA, perceive any stress, they will send a message to the adrenal glands, the A, and the adrenal glands make our adrenaline and cortisol. They will send a message to the adrenal glands and says, make adrenaline and cortisol. So the adrenal, okay, I'm gonna make adrenaline and cortisol. And then they send a little memo back to the hypothalamus and the pituitary that says, I've done it, stop sending me that memo. But the problem is, the adrenal glands are responding to a message that was sent 20 minutes ago. Now, 20 minutes ago, you might have been dealing with the alarm clock going off. Mm. Now you might be dealing with the fact that your kids are screaming at you. So guess what? Another memo has to be sent. So what happens is after a while, the adrenals just stop. They just, they, there's no point. This, this feedback loop gets 
gets broken. So what's happening is just, it doesn't work anymore. So the hypothalamus and the pituitary are just sending this, this message constantly, make adrenaline cortisol, make adrenaline cortisol, make adrenaline cortisol. Mm. So we end up in this dysregulation. So we're in this free fall of making cortisol. And the more we make cortisol, the less we make progesterone, which is our calming hormone, the more that we're creating inflammation, which creates too much estrogen, too much estrogen then has a knock-on effect with insulin and we end up with this kind of like body that is like sort of full of overloaded with hormones but not using them properly yeah so this is where we end up with the pcos it's where we end up with uh weight issues it's where we end up with an awful perimenopause like that plays out so beautifully in perimenopause where there's too much estrogen not enough progesterone And again, the way that the body even makes progesterone is it makes the progesterone from fat and it's, that's supposed to be the the job. It makes the progesterone from fat. Well, firstly, a lot of people aren't eating enough fat. And secondly, if any stress comes in, the body goes, I don't need to make progesterone because that's to hold a baby. I need to run away from this stress. Mm. So it turns the progesterone into cortisol. So yeah, we're just in this place of our bodies being overloaded with stress hormone not enough of the calming hormones and it's just causing so many issues so for women that are in that place so they come and see you they they say this is where i'm at i mean i'm i'm overweight i can't lose weight i've been diagnosed with pcos or there may be perimenopause what's what's the strategy that you would take with with someone like that Mm, great question so we first of all look at diet because what we do every day counts. Yes, absolutely. And it's very easy to try and get over technical, right? Uh, So we could start talking about technical supplements or bioidentical hormones, but until we've got the scaffolding and the foundations in place, there's just no point. So we like to look at uh, working with, uh, we call it the PFC diet. So every time we eat, we need to make sure that we've got a protein source, a fat source and the right carbohydrates. So for example, a lot of people will be having granola or muesli or porridge for breakfast. Well, they're delicious, but they're just carbohydrate. There's not enough protein in them. We need an actual protein source. So that would be meat, fish, eggs, tofu, or protein powders. So if you're going to have porridge, you need to be adding protein powders to it or having a couple of eggs on the side. You need to add some fat to it. So be that some coconut oil or some almond butter. Yes. And this is where we're starting to see that a lot of the diets, the very trendy diets, like the vegan diet at the moment, there's, it's very carbohydrate dense. Yes. So we're getting this blood sugar spiking. We're not getting enough proteins and fats. Yes. So by making sure we're eating enough proteins and fats at every meal, that's really essential. The other problem is that a lot of women are programmed with this eat less, move more. Mm. If you've got a lot of cortisol going into your system, you know, just beasting yourself at CrossFit at eight o'clock at night is probably not the way forward. Definitely. You know, if you want to get your big cardio hit, do it in the morning when your cortisol is supposed to be at its highest. Absolutely. Actually, in the evening, we need to be dropping our energy. Absolutely. Yeah, calming down. But women are going, I need to burn more calories. I need to burn more calories. And often they're not even eating enough. And so then more cortisol going into our body because we're responding to stress. Mm. Totally. So um, one of the biggest things that I see with female clients that come through my door is they struggle to get their protein in massively. I mean, I look at their diets and they're, they're on day eating 30 to 50 grams of protein a day. Um, they have no structure in terms of uh, when to eat. It's just all over the place, right? And like you said, very carbohydrate-based diet, especially with the majority of people that I see, again, being Asian background, you know, their diet is very carby, carby diet. And then those people are massively suffering with, you know, sugar spikes and sugar drops and sugar spikes, sugar drops throughout the whole day. And we know um, to keep the sugar stable, we need to make sure that if you're going to eat carbohydrates, if we eat them with protein, if we eat them with fat, that is going to slow the release of, of sugar and that's going to keep your sugar stable throughout the day. And again, eating uh, maybe every three, four hours to make sure that you keep that st- stable yes. sugar. Um, 
but they really struggle to get protein in. So how do you work around that with the people that you uh, see on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I, I just say we have to, this, I mean, I'm a big fan of clean, natural, unprocessed food. Absolutely. Like we kind of have to go back to the way that we were, you know, eating yeah. ancestrally. Okay. The majority of the time anyway. We do, exactly. But when people are really struggling, then I do think that protein powders are a good hack. So I do have people coming in who are vegan and they, you know, or they don't want to eat tofu because they like, no, okay, right. We have got to get protein powders in. So put the protein powders in your, in, you know, in your tomato ketchup, if that's all you can put it in, put your protein powders in your smoothie, put the protein powders in your soups, just hack everything with Mm. protein powder. It's not ideal because it's processed, but it is a get out of jail free card. And actually my experience is that once people start upping their protein, they actually then start craving the protein Mm. and then they'll naturally start wanting to put more eggs in or they're going more towards fish if they're not vegetarian. They then start looking for more protein sources. It's because their blood sugars are so unstable, but they're actually struggling to get the protein in in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. One thing you mentioned there was the vegan diet uh, being very, very common at the moment. And I'm not against vegan diet or or veganism for whatever reason. People can do what they like. But I do know that most vegans are missing out on a lot of essential amino acids that the body can't produce. So when you see a vegan person coming through your doors, um, obviously protein powders do cover that that basis of the essential amino acids but do you give them supplements or do you do you kind of put different foods together to make sure that they gain the essential amino acids how do you work around that yeah that's a really good question and you're absolutely right again i'm not anti-veganism it's really easy i think when you're sort of speaking the talking the talk that you and i sort of speak that people just assume we're anti-veganism yes, and it's, not at all. for me i'm anti any diet like you can do veganism well you can do it really badly. And I see most people doing it badly. I think someone told me that when you become a vegetarian, you substitute meat for cheese. And then when you become vegan, you substitute the cheese for wheat. And wheat is so inflammatory and so many people are intolerant to it that you're just looking at, you know, ill health central. So yeah, what we do is we tend to work with, um, definitely wheat-free diets. Not all glutens are evil, it's just wheat. Wheat was genetically modified, it's horribly genetically modified. It contains, you know, over 80% gluten, it's completely undigestible to the human body. And then we spray it with an awful pesticide that obliterates our gut microbiome. And I like to jokingly refer to it as arsenic. And so it's like, how much arsenic do you want in your diet before Mm. you think you're gonna feel unwell? Like. And people say, well, I'm, I'm eating organic wheat. And I go, well, that's, that's great. You're just eating organic arsenic. It's, yeah. you know, well, I'm eating sourdough. And I go, that's fermented arsenic. It's just, you know, other grains. There are plenty of other grains that we can yeah. use. So, when, so, so, just, so I said, before, let me stop you before you go ahead. People might be wondering, well, what's in wheat? What's, what, what contains wheat? Because they may think, oh, this just, oh, this, great. do you know what I mean? So what foods would you think that are very prevalent in people's diets that, that contains wheat. Great question. And the difficulty is these days, almost everything, because when we genetically modified wheat in 1969, it became cheap. And so it ended up as a bulk and a filler in most foods. So predominantly though, bread, pasta, biscuits and cakes, couscous is wheat. And what's the other one I'm thinking of? Like bulgur wheat is wheat. So things that aren't wheat, rice, rye, spelt, barley, more kind of indigenous grains. Actually in the Indian diet, like gram flour, lovely non-gluten based, you know, those kind of things. So we need to be looking at exchanging the wheat in everything and swapping it for one of the other grains. So, you know, spelt flour makes a really lovely loaf of bread. Mm. Fantastic. And it's actually, not an anti-nutrient it's good for you there's loads of b vitamins in good grains so they're they're really useful for the human diet so definitely looking at at swapping those out um and just being mindful and again i always say to people it's not about never having it if you go out and there might be a bit of wheat in a bit of gravy unless you're a full-on you've got to be realistic okay yeah it's it's, i don't think 
feed wheat, dairy and sugar all the time. It, it's yeah. so difficult. It's, it's impossible um, to kind of not have that. So with the vegan... Yeah. And yeah. live and have fun. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. true. So I would be saying to vegans, protein powders, obviously, in everything. Spirulina as well is a great supplement because mm -hmm. it is actually a protein. It's an adaptogenic herb, which means it reduces that cortisol profile. And also it's a nice protein source. I'm also looking at supplementing with, I mean, definitely things like B12. And I think pretty much everyone these days needs magnesium because it's depleted from our soils. Yes. Um, the other things that vegans in particular are going to need is an omega-3 because they're not getting it in their Absolutely. diet. And where they would have quite a lot of nuts, there's a lot of omega-6 in nuts, but that can itself can become quite inflammatory. So we need the omega-3 to balance out that so the omega they're getting, they can't get that from fish oil, right? Because that's obviously not vegan. Exactly. But we did develop a few years ago the way of pulling the omega-3 out of the algae, which is actually how the fish get it anyway. So there are now quite a lot of the vegan omega-3 oils that come from the algae. You so that's great. Do you recommend any at all? Like yeah, I'm a really big fan of there's a company called Cytoplan, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N, and they do an Amiga, a vegan Amiga 3. Brilliant. I'll have a look at that. I'll put it in the show notes. And a lot of people actually, they struggle if they've got digestive issues. Like that was a game changer for me because where I'd had digestive issues, an Omega-3 supplement, what you often find is people kind of burp fish. Like they're like, God, That's I hate right. taking Omega-3 because I burp fish later. Yeah. They're not absorbing it. They're not breaking it down. And the, the, the algae version is actually easier for them to digest. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, so I would also be recommending for vegans um, a digestive aid. So something like a betaine hydrochloride. Do, do the research, find the vegan ones or a digestive enzyme. Um, because again, Breaking down vegan proteins is hard. It's much harder for the body to break down a vegan protein than it is to break down a meat source protein. Mm -hmm. So by giving yourself a digestive aid, it means you're sort of hacking the body. You're doing that job for it and you're getting more of the protein out. Cool. Brilliant. So in terms of PCOS, let's touch a little bit on that. Um, it's something that is very, very common now. I mean, I, I can't believe how common it's become. Um, yeah. Number one reason, why, why do people become, uh, get PCOS? So fundamentally, we go back to triangle of hormonal health. It's because we've got too much stress, unbalanced blood sugars that has a knock-on effect with these female hormones. PCOS is very, very uh, misdiagnosed as well. A lot of people will be given a diagnosis of PCOS and it's not true PCOS. It's something like insulin resistance that's now having a knock-on effect with their periods. Mm. So one of the first questions I ask is, have you had multiple tests to know it's proper PCOS? Mm. So there are actually four places that, that true PCOS can come from. It can come from insulin resistance. That is blood sugar instability. That is absolutely reversible with the right diet. With you know good diet, we can reverse that and exercise. Yes. Really. We have post-pill PCOS. I mean, the contraceptive pill is a massive soapbox issue for me anyway because I see so many people with fallout after taking the pill. Um, so PCOS for one. Or the other thing is women going on the pill, even for a short period of time, like six months, coming off of it, never getting a period back again. Mm -hmm. And I, I get cross about this because... I have to be able to justify why I've even recommended someone have a magnesium supplement, but you can go to a doctor and not have to sign a disclaimer that this could make you infertile for the rest of your life. Like, it's not okay. Let me tell you two things. So I met my wife 10 years ago. She was on the pill and I said, stop the pill right now. She stopped the pill and it took her, I would probably say seven to eight years for her to regulate her period. Yeah. And now I've got a it's friend of mine friend of mine who was in the coil. Now, as far as she was concerned, this was a hormone-free coil. She was in the coil for oh. ten, 10 years, right? Now, she, she wants to get pregnant. She's removed the coil. She hasn't had a period for a year and a half. Um, absolutely distraught she is. Are you still there? Yeah. 
I hear this so often and it's just not okay. No, it's not. Yeah, I'm still here. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. Yeah, it's not okay. Uh, and so this, this, this post-pill PCOS is absolutely, again, I'm looking at we need to change the cortisol profile. We need to balance out the excess estrogen because that's what's causing this. And we need to get your blood sugar stabilized. So excess estrogen is because of this drop-off in progesterone. And with the marina coil, the reason the marina coil is so dangerous or the progesterone-only pill is it, the doctors will tell you it's, it's a small amount of progesterone. It's not. It's a synthetic progesterone called progestin. And if you go and do the research on this, you can see it. The chemical composition of progestin looks exactly the same as testosterone. It doesn't look anything like progesterone. Wow. So the effect on the female body is that of testosterone. Now, let's just give people a bit of basics. Estrogen is an exciter hormone. It ramps us up. Testosterone is an exciter hormone. It ramps us up. Mm. Progesterone is a calming hormone. It calms us down. It reduces the cortisol profile. But if we've now been given extra ramper upper hormones, now we're getting women who are like wired, anxious, jittery, digestive problems, no periods. Like it's a mess. Mm. It's an absolute mess. Progesterone is fundamental to female mental health and physical health. Mm. Fundamental. So you're absolutely right that this, that this post-pill PCOS is actually coming because of the estrogen dominance and this drop-off of, of progesterone. So that needs to get, that needs to get balanced. Yes. The other cause of PCOS, which I think is actually the true cause of PCOS, is the androgen uh, response. So that's when people are getting too much testosterone or DHEA imbalance in their, in their bodies. And I think that's what, what I would have classed as original traditional PCOS that was rare. Like it was rare PCOS. Yeah. And that is, again, yeah. And now it's so common, like you said. So that you can also deal with because I, again, would be looking at stress profile, blood sugars, too much estrogen. Yeah. That's a little bit harder because I would consider that to be a true version of PCOS. But, you know, all of that is, is workable with. Yes. And is there a fourth one, did you say, uh, PCOS? That's the fourth. So insulin, post-pill, oh, yeah. sorry, and inflammation is the, yeah. is the fourth one. So uh, the fourth, third one, fourth one, inflammation is a cause of PCOS. But when we go back to what's causing the inflammation, cortisol, blood sugar instability, too much cortisol. Yeah. Exactly. That pyramid exactly. That. So this is where this triangle. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so we always think that I've got this really complicated health issue. Mm. I don't know what to do about it. The human body is very complicated, but it's very simple in its design. Yes. If we balance our blood sugars correctly, we don't have the inflammation. If we learn how to, also, we yes. don't have the inflammation. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, knowing all of this, we, me and you know exactly what we have to do. It's all about managing blood sugar, making sure we get enough sleep, being hydrated, exercising, but not overdoing exercising, trying to reduce stress in many other areas. Uh, meditation, like yoga, like stretching. I mean, all of that is positive stuff, right? Um, yeah. But if you were to, to put, say, the top five things that someone needs to really start owning in every single day, um, what would they be? Stop eating wheat. Yeah. Stop eating wheat, 100%. Everybody. Wheat is genetically modified. We cannot process it. And I honestly see people come in with, you know, even horrendous rheumatoid arthritis, give up wheat three weeks later, knuckles and joints back to normal size. Like I've seen miracles when people give up wheat, mm. so give up wheat, drink enough water, take magnesium. Obviously, if you're on medication, you'll need to check. But for most people, most of the time, we aren't getting enough any, magnesium. Any it's magnesium do you recommend? Really good question. So there's a lot of different types of magnesium. I kind of don't really uh, mind where you get it from, but if you have constipation, I would recommend magnesium citrate, C I T 
C-R-A-T-E. So the C for constipation, yeah. magnesium citrate for constipation. If you have loose bowels or sensitive bowels, magnesium biglycinate or magnesium glycinate, it's called the same thing. And so I like to think if you need to glue up your bowels, glycinate. If you've got constipation, citrate. And if you've got just general fatigue, malaise, muscle pain, magnesium malate. Now, I always think of magnesium malate when you get that little twitchy eye or those muscle spasms after exercise, that's magnesium malate. They're kind of the three most common um, in clinical terms, and and I would be recommending that you get on those. So hydration, no wheat, magnesium, move your body. We've got to move our lymph like we have to. And and even if you are exhausted with chronic fatigue, go for a walk. 15 minutes. I'll tell you what, I'll be honest with you, and this I say this to every client. Walking is the most powerful exercise you can do. Yeah. It's so like you know, no, it doesn't raise your cortisol levels. It's relaxing. You can listen to a book, you can listen to a podcast, it's refreshing right now going outdoors. It's just so it's movement. Honestly, I I can't recommend it enough. I absolutely agree. And I know from my, myself, when I was in the depths of my fatigue, I was going to the gym, I'd be trying to do something. I remember just being given step ups on like a, one of the Reebok steps. And I remember just looking at it and crying and going, I can't do it. And actually what I needed then was yoga, walking, swimming, yeah. go where your energy is. And then when you feel better, then you can start pushing yourself and getting in the weights and then the cardio. Unfortunately, this is what I'm seeing. We live in a world of social media where we're seeing a lot of CrossFit. We're seeing a lot of HIIT workouts, you know, so such as like things like Barry's Book Camp and all, you know, and they look fantastic and look fun and it's great, great. But most people shouldn't be doing that. No, I agree. Not more than twice a week. No, I agree. Do you know what? This is an absolute true story. So, I mean, it was 16 years ago, I was hit with my birth trauma that, that gave me chronic fatigue. I have, I've worked with a PT and who understood my conditions, you know, in all that time. And sometimes I had to really sort of check in and go today is not the day for exercise, but I worked gently. I couldn't do cardio. And when I say I couldn't do cardio, I mean, my body physically wouldn't even let my heart rate go above about 115. It just wouldn't. Mm. I would, I actually started crying. Like I couldn't even get a sweat on because my body, it was so adrenally fatigued. It wouldn't allow it. And then suddenly, about a year ago, after really working on all of this for so long, so I could feel something in me shift. I'm now like obsessed and addicted with cycling and I can get my heart rate up and I love it and I feel energized. If I'd have done that even two years ago, I would have come back and just passed out and needed to sleep. Yeah. I couldn't have done it. Yeah. So you have to listen to your body. And there's a fine line between self-love being I'm going to go move my body and self-love being I need to stay in bed today. Yeah, absolutely. There's a fine line. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. Not everyone can do that kind of exercise. I mean, there's no way I could have done it. I probably could now. You know, the issue that we have, and I see this uh, a lot, is unfortunately personal trainers don't know this stuff. Yeah. So their approach towards, well, a woman's coming through my door, she wants to lose weight, she's overweight, I'm going to just smash the shit out of her. Simple as that. Because she wants to sweat. She wants to feel like she didn't work. And I feel like as a, that's what I have to do as a job. But and it goes with the menstrual cycle too. And I'm sure you know this, right? Yes. So say 10 days before the period starts, you know, you don't feel great as a female. Most females anyway. No. So the last thing we want to do is smash the shit out of them in the gym or do a CrossFit workout where we're making things worse. And then make the hormones, everything, cortisol is going to rise stupidly. Yeah. Uh, but PTs don't know this. I mean, at least, I'd say at least 90% of PTs don't know. Yeah. And, and we're seeing a lot of women suffer on the back of that without knowing that that's doing them more harm than good. I know, it's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And, mm-hmm. you know, the PTs aren't taught. I've got a friend of mine who actually has just done a qualification in PT, and she's like, the nutrition upsets me because she understands nutrition. She's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I've just been taught that. But it's the same, as a practitioner, I was taught the same thing. So this is new information. The stuff that you and I are talking about is new. But you're right, we we need to keep getting podcasts like this out and out and out. Because women also think, I can't do it. I can't do CrossFit. It must be me. No, it's just where your hormones are right now. And with the right right exercise. Right now that you can. 
Yeah. No reason why you can't in the future. It's going to make sure you, 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 you're, everything's working with you, not against you, right? Exactly. And there are days where you might be able to and days where you can't. And really understanding that's becoming that autonomous, self, self-responsible human, I think, is, and not being so... This is the problem with social media, that, that, that constant influx of other information. Absolutely. I wanted to touch on a point as well, which I think is really important because, you know, we, we sit here and we know exactly, we'll tell people that you just said, you know, relaxation. We tell them all, right? But then they'll listen to you like, yeah, I need to do this. I need to do this. But they don't do it because life gets in a way, you know, whatever it might be, that it does, it's not a priority because I guess they're not in pain. Yeah. Not a physical pain where they feel like, oh my God, I can't do this. Because it's more psychological and more physiological, they just get on with it, right? That's life. Well, I'll, I'll get through this. I'll just get on with it. And you don't. So if that carries on happening, what could be the long-term consequences of, of, of that? I really love to talk about this in terms of if you don't start listening to your body, your body is going to make you listen. So it, it took me going through massive amounts of trauma to actually learn how to listen to my damn body. And I see that with my clients. I'm like, this is your wake-up call. And I, I, I get people coming in with like really unwell people. And I always say to them, this is a gift. It doesn't feel like it now, but it's a gift because it is absolutely showing you what your body needs you to do. Mm. And we are railroaded over. Society tells us to keep railroading over ourselves. And so this is where, for me, the emotional transformation is so important alongside the physical work because this is when we're really learning our own intuition to tune into our body, radical self-love, radical self-love. Uh, and that is, is, is kind of the key, right? So if you're not having any symptoms, that's great. But I bet there's still a way that you're being really hard on yourself, either mm. in terms of your working life or your family life or pressure you're putting on yourself because you'll have been conditioned to be that way. With, yes. you know, no one's taught to be self-responsible at school because that goes against a schooling system. Parents don't really want their kids being self-responsible because they won't do what they're told. Mm. There has to come a point where we have to learn self-responsibility and radical self-love. Yeah. And actually putting myself first. And we currently don't live in a society that really supports that. But I think it's starting to change a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so we need, to, we need to make that happen. So I always say, unless you start putting that, those foundations in now, there is going to come a point where your body can't buffer that anymore. And it, it will have a knock-on effect. You will have that wake-up call. So you're talking about long-term autoimmune conditions, the inflammations, the diabetes, you know, we can end up with diabetes from stress alone. So even if someone's out there going, well, I exercise loads and I've got a great diet. Yeah, but the stress alone could put you into diabetes. Stress is one of the worst things, isn't it? Well, it's why zebras don't get mouth ulcers, right? Like they don't have the stress book? response. <laughs> Absolutely. What a great book, isn't it? Great book. What great a great book. book. And it's so true. We have this stress response yeah. that we... It's not about running away from saber-toothed tigers now. It's about dealing with the overhead strip lights or the air conditioning or the heating. It's this, we are little frogs boiling to death in warm water that we don't realize is getting hotter. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you a question as well, which I think people are going to be wondering in their mind, oh, am I insulin resistant? Um, so obviously we know that's to do with blood sugar. Uh, how, what would you say would be a normal blood sugar for a normal day-to-day -day person? And what would be something that, that they would know, I'm going to second this, I'm, high, I'm insulin resistant here, what, I need to do something about it. So the problem is, what's a normal blood sugar? For, I mean, I, I personally think that the, well, not just me, but the blood sugar tests, especially the ones in the UK, are highly flawed and don't really give you any information. Okay. So I like to talk about, there's two types of insulin. There's this background insulin. Insulin's actually a useful hormone, Absolutely. but this background, Ground insulin and then there's reactive insulin which is the body having to deal with what we've thrown at it in terms of either stress or food and we want to try and limit the amount of reactive insulin that we start piling into our system so how would you know you're insulin resistant without having a blood test you wouldn't except 
any symptoms of blood sugar instability would be a clue that you're heading in that direction. So those, those actually, this is a non-exhaustive list, but it, I would be thinking of blood sugar instability when people have got anxiety, depression, overwhelm, irritable bowel syndrome, constant headaches, jittery, brain fog, uh, aches and pains, um, autoimmune conditions. Basically, any condition that you come up with, I'm going to say there's a blood sugar instability there. Mm. And that blood sugar instability will lead eventually to in inflammation. Resistance. Well, yeah. uh, so things like uh, a blood sugar, like a, blood, a prick on your finger, like a diabetic would do, would you say that's not a good way of looking at it? The problem is that's like a snapshot of, of like this second. Exactly. And what's more useful is seeing where the blood sugars are on a like over the day-to-day the, the -day basis so it, it doesn't really give us that information it just mm. says what's your reactive insulin doing so I would say that things like can you intermittent fast without being really hungry or angry mm. if you can't you've got blood sugar instability and until you fix that don't intermittent fast mm. you know how are you if you miss breakfast okay well don't do it then yes. um do you feel tired after you've eaten? Do you feel shaky after yeah. you've eaten? Do you crave sugar? Are you sleeping properly? Those are all, I think, much better indicators than just a blood prick test that says, yeah, all right, your body responded to that. I'm more interested in this background insulin than the mm. reactive. But when we're constantly requiring the reactive insulin, that's when this background insulin gets yeah, all messed and up. And that's Another way to maybe look, if you think you are, uh, and this is my two pence of information, I guess, if you think you are insulin resistant, based on what you've just said, it's all about focusing on your diet, number one, reducing, yeah. reducing low GI fruit as much as possible. Um, yes. Low GI fruit, sorry, as much as possible. Protein with every meal, good quality fat with every meal to make sure you keep that blood sugar stable. And maybe a low carbohydrate diet to start with yes. for a while until you get into a place yes. where you where you, you yep, so, better, right? Absolutely. So I'd definitely be saying to people, if they're feeling like, okay, that could be me, you are not going to hurt yourself by reducing starchy carbohydrates. So I would say you want all the non-starchy carbohydrates. So your vegetable, you know, your, um, your cruciferous vegetables, your salads, mushrooms, all those things. We need those in abundance, but your grains and beans, your root veg, your fruit, and your, your sugary things, those we can actually park a little bit for a while um, and maybe just have one uh, one meal a day with them in and then and then see how you feel most vegans will be shouting right now i know i know <laughs> i know <laughs> all those beans that's how they're getting their protein that's the point there's not enough protein exactly. like lentils and you know the, that's where they get most of their protein although that's more of a carbohydrate food um, yeah exactly Exactly. So uh, let's touch a little bit on um, per perimenopause and menopause. Um, mm -hmm. what, what, what are you seeing right now? What ages are they tend to start happening? What are the early signs of it? Um, mm. what, what's going on? So we're seeing menopause, perimenopause starting quite a bit earlier. And it's because we're highly stressed and the adrenals become like the diva of the endocrine system that command all the attention. So the ovaries kind of get a little bit left out. Mm. So we end the thyroid as well. I actually, uh, we, we teach that thyroid imbalances are secondary to adrenal issues, which is actually the opposite to how the medical model talk about it. It's got to come from stress first, right? Mm. Uh, and then and everything else is a knock-on effect. So perimenopause, we're seeing women experiencing it earlier. So definitely, you know, early 30s, that could just be a bit forgetful, a bit of confusion, maybe a bit of weight instability, periods being a bit lighter or heavier or more irregular, those kind of things where it's not, you know, you can really put your finger on the fact it's perimenopause. But we're seeing definitely women having really impactful menopause. And that's because we're going into menopause stressed. So we're going into menopause depleted. So in menopause, one of the things that categorizes it 
is your ovaries give up, they've, they've done their job, and our adrenal glands start making our estrogen and our progesterone. So the adrenal glands have to do more. If your adrenal glands have been exhausted from 40 years of having a career, having a social life, having your kids, doing it all, being with all the things and doing all your CrossFit, they do not have the capacity and the bandwidth to then make the estrogen and the progesterone that we need. So we, we become deficient in them. So yeah, we're seeing women coming into it, crawling into our clinics, absolutely broken. The other thing we're seeing a lot is something called uh, premature ovarian failure, which is anybody before the age of 40 being diagnosed with perimenopause and menopause. And we're seeing a much greater prevalence of that, I believe, because of this increase in stress. And the youngest person in the UK was diagnosed, I think it was last year, 17 with the premature ovarian failure. So, you know, they hadn't even got started in their life and then bam, premature ovarian failure. So I would say that's either a profile of chronic stress from childbirth, uh, from birth, or it was a, a trauma, so a high stress, of, you know, yes. GCSEs or something yeah. that has just tipped them over the edge with, and, and diet, their body can't cope anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so the, cat, the, the, the main category is that the first thing that happens is progesterone drops off. And that, of course, is our calming hormone. And estrogen then goes a bit loopy. It goes up and down. But there's always more estrogen to progesterone. And we call that estrogen dominance. And that's where the symptoms come from. Now, the problem is when women get far enough down the road to be diagnosed as perimenopausal or menopausal, they're put on HRT. And the HRT will be that synthetic progesterone, which is going to cause all sorts of bother, and high levels of estrogen. But early in menopause, we don't need that estrogen because our estrogen is doing this. Mm. We actually need natural progesterone to be boosted up here. And how would you go about got, doing that? So the doctors do have access to a natural progesterone. I feel like I'm telling you a big secret here. They do have access to a natural progesterone, um, HRT. It's made from sweet potatoes and yams. It's called eutrogestin, and they don't like prescribing it. A lot of doctors aren't, aren't trained in it, but also they don't like prescribing it so much because it costs more than the synthetic progesterone. So on average, you're looking at, like in America, it's $3 a day versus 34 cents a day. So it becomes down to cost not women's health. The other thing is that's actually also very high dose progesterone. Find practitioners who use bioidentical hormones. And to give you an idea, when my ladies come into clinic, we're using one drop of uh, dermal progesterone, which is four milligrams, whereas the one from the GP is 100 milligrams. Wow. I've got women going through the whole of their menopause, maybe with just two drops. You don't wow. always need that massive amount yeah, of yeah. hormone. Yeah. It can be low, low dose just to get you through. Yeah. So that'll be a perimenopause that would happen or? Yeah, perimenopause. And if women have been really stressed and even after having their children and they've got a lot of work pressure, even then we might be looking at a very low dose of, uh, of, of bioidentical hormones to just give them the scaffolding mm. to not go into very early And does that have to be prescribed or, or can they buy that off the counter? Uh, they, they would need to work with a practitioner, someone like me, but there's lots of people who work with bioidentical hormones. Just look for a practitioner who works with them. Perfect. Fine. Um, so obviously when, when a woman hits menopause, you know, that they are, that's just part of evolution and part of getting older. And then they, you know, they get the, the horrible symptoms, the sweat, the time, you know, like I, I've seen my mum going through it. Your know, mum now has been diagnosed with fibromyalgia. You know, there's loads of stuff going on since she's hit menopause. It's just yeah. kind of downhill. Their weight shifts from the hips and the bum to the waist. Uh, they feel very uncomfortable. Yeah. So if they don't want to go on HRT, first of all, is HRT uh, okay? Or is there an alternative that's better? So some women swear by So I, I would say let's make the distinction. HRT is what the doctors recommend. That would be the synthetic progesterones and the very active high dose estrogens. Mm. That's what the doctors are working with. I don't think that works for most women, but some women swear by it. And so if it's working, great. I would still be saying you need to make sure that you're doing liver support, you're still having magnesium, you're helping your body clear out excess hormones. Mm. Otherwise you end up you know, going into the risks of the blood clots and the breast cancers and those yeah. things. So just make sure that your diet is clean and, you know, all of the things. Yeah. 
Yes. When you're working with practitioners, someone like me, where we work with the bio-identical HRT, it's really, it's, it is a hormone replacement, but like I said, it's like one drop of uh, yam-sourced yeah. progesterone. It's, you're not getting like synthetic stuff. Exactly, it's completely natural. So a lot of women feel differently when they're able to do that. Some women are okay with your traditional um, herbs like black cohosh. I don't see them in my clinic because I tend to get the women who feel really poorly during menopause yeah. and have tried all those things. So yeah. I don't tend to see those very often, but some women sail through them. And I would say that actually the women who sail through using those kind of things weren't stressed going into yes. menopause and are having a lovely time. Like, well done, you're gonna have a great menopause. Some women don't even notice they've had it. Like, yeah. they, they're fine. I would say if you've tried the black cohosh, even if, even if you've been on HRT and the doctor's are saying that's all and you're still feeling awful, definitely get out there and research other practitioners who are working the way that I work, um, you know, and, 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 and find the alternatives because you well, don't have to feel awful. I think the, the thing is, is that there's not many people like you out there doing what oh, I know. I don't, I'm, I'm, training, I'm training them out. <laughs> honestly, you know, you know I, I've been meaning to do a podcast like this for a while with, with someone who knows what they're talking about in terms of the female hormones and menopause and all that. And it's so hard to find. And the ones that you do find are, are they, they've got a huge amount of followers. They don't want to talk to you unless you've got a huge amount of followers. It's a bit silly because we're not helping the general population here. You know, just because you haven't got a book out and you've got a million followers on awesome, yeah, doesn't mean you don't know what you're talking about, you know? I know. And the other thing that, and I don't begrudge the functional doctors or nutritionists who can charge the astronomical amounts. But as soon as someone, you know, I, I actually, I have a, a part of my process, which is if the stuff from the GP, the natural uh, estrogen, uh, progesterone from the GP isn't enough for clients who've had a, a serious amount of stress and trauma, then I do re refer them on to a doctor in Harley Street, but you're looking at thousands of pounds investment, yes. thousands of pounds investment, and that is inaccessible to most women. Absolutely. And so, yeah, this is the problem is that a lot of the experts then charge an absolute fortune, and so it's inaccessible. Yeah, well, but I think the biggest thing that's come out of this with PCOS, with perimenopause and menopause, is stress and cortisol, right? Stress and cortisol. And one of the, what's happening every day, what am I putting in my mouth? Because yeah, every, and this was a real wow for me. Yeah. Every time I put something in my mouth, I have a hormone response. And that hormone response, if it's the wrong thing, will be cortisol. So it doesn't matter if I am in a Zen place on the side of a hill with no external influences and lots of lovely, you know, yeah, negative yeah, yeah. ions. If I'm eating wheat or something that's imbalanced, I will produce cortisol. That was like the, oh, for me. Hmm. So then, okay, how can I change my diet? How can I tweak my diet to make sure that I'm not putting in that cortisol? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and um, if you were to give me five things on how people can, can reduce stress, in your opinion, what would they be? Yeah, so I go back to what we were talking about earlier. So no wheat, water, magnesium. Uh, yeah, it's the same things. Move your body, eat balance. Like it's the Very same good. things because they're the absolute basics. If, yeah. I'm, if I'm trying to reduce stress by learning meditation, but I'm eating wheat three times a day, pff, no yeah. point. Yeah, I get you. No point. I get you totally. Awesome. And this is, this is where it can become so complicated because people go, right, well, I need to meditate and I need to do yoga, but then I'm supposed to be doing this. And am I supposed to be juicing? It's like, we've got so complicated. Just bring basics. back to basics. Focus on those basics first. Get them on a consistent basis going on so you're doing it consistently. And then if you feel that you're going in the right direction, you can then add a bit of breathing exercise in here and there, making sure you're sleeping a bit more. Absolutely. Um, and also things like, you know, making sure you're not overdoing it with exercise. Yes. But I'm hoping these kind of podcasts, you know, people start seeing signs of what's going on within their own life. That maybe, they may be already taking magnesium. They may yeah. be drinking enough water, but maybe they're not walking enough. Maybe they're, they're training too hard. So they maybe need to look at those things, right? Absolutely. So I call that the spectrum of health. 
So if you said to someone who, let's say, is eating loads of junk food, not exercising, in quite a sort of a negative mental health spiral, if you say, right, so what I'm going to need you to do is only use organic products and never eat this and do this and do that, they're going to go, not going to do any of it. So actually, let's do the basics. Let's start moving your body. Let's walk. Let's just walk. And then let's maybe give up wheat and then let's drink more water and let's maybe take magnesium. Once you've done all of that, now let's learn some good breathing exercises and some excellent meditation. And you, you, you know what, um, when it comes to, for example, I mean, a lot of people that I see is fat loss, fat loss, fat loss, right? So when it comes to fat loss, everything that you're talking about makes a huge impact on it, right? Yeah. But it's to throw everything at once to someone like that. They'll be like, wait, this is too much. I can't deal with it. So I try and strip it way down to a point where literally, right, okay, all we're going to do right now is focus on let's look how many calories you're consuming on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Let's reduce that a little bit for a period of time. Let's see yeah. how you're going to respond. Once they get used to that idea and they're doing that for a while, then we talk about protein, right? Protein is really important. This, 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 and this. Let's start tracking that. And then we talk about fiber. And then we talk about bringing carbohydrates to a point where they're eating more low GI carbohydrates, not high GI. But that takes a while. But what people want is, well, I want to lose weight in three months. Yeah. Well, you're not going to lose weight in three months because there's so many things that we need to look at slowly and only then do we need to bring the other thing in and only then do we bring the other thing in. It, it, it can be a year. It can be two years. Uh, but unfortunately, again, social media brings, oh, but that person did it in eight weeks and look how amazing they look. Uh, it's, uh, it's, do, you, do, you feel, do you feel that it's the same with you? I think I lost you there. Internet. You still there? I can't hear you, Claire. I think we lost Claire. I think the internet dropped on her side. Hopefully she'll get back in. Sorry about this, guys. I think she's here. Are you there, Claire? Yeah, I'm here. There you are. Yeah, you dropped for a bit of the internet then. Yeah, I was, I was just up. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I can hear you. That's fine. Right, so Claire, so just to finish, just to finish off uh, this amazing conversation, thank you so much for obviously dropping in. Um, can you still hear me? I can hear you. Yeah. Yeah. Just to finish off, can you tell people can where you hear they, me? yeah, I can hear you. If, if people want to work with you, if they want to find you and know a bit more about what you're doing, where, where can they find you? Um, okay. So we actually created this whole issue of women not being able to afford to work with practitioners or, you know, it's a big issue. And so we spent the last lockdown creating something called, uh, it's a symptom assessor and it's completely free. And if you go to www.iwanttofeelbetter.co.uk, we ask, I think it's like about eight or 10 questions. And from that, it will tell you which hormones you need to work on first. So is that your blood sugars, your stress hormones, your immune system, your sex Mm. hormones? And then the actual toolkit to be able to do that work is like, it's like less than 50 quid. It's really, really cheap. So people can do that work, the diet, the supplements, all of the things. It just means we're getting that work out there for women to be able to access at a really, really accessible price. So if you want to find out more about me and what we do, if you go to Balanced Wellness UK on Instagram, Facebook, and it's balancedwellness.co.uk. And I'm Claire Snowden, darling. And all of my gubbins is all over there. But yeah, that symptom assessor is, is completely free and, and so sure worth doing. That on the note, show notes, so people can just go down and click and go straight to that. Um, but Amazing. I'd like to add before we, we finish. No, thank you so much. I love talking about this. No, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, if you ever want to come back on the podcast to cover a specific 
um, model that you want to talk about, I'm more than happy to have you back on board and we can cover whatever you think is going to help the public. Is that all right? Yeah, great. Thank you. And I'm, I'm no idea what happened with the internet, but hopefully that's all okay. Most, most of it was fine, so don't worry about it. It was right towards the end. But thank you so much for your time. I'll, 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 make sure I'll share everything with you when it's all uh, ready to go on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. No, you're so welcome. I appreciate you having you on board and taking an hour of your Saturday to be here. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. You're very welcome. Nice to meet you, Herbie. You too. Bye.